0: 102.9 ESPN Missoula. Watch the show statewide on SWX Montana Television. Well, it's now ESPN Radio. I did a little uh, straw poll uh, during the Super Bowl. I so said, what was the best Super Bowl halftime show? Just asking the people that we were hanging out with. And a lot of answers for Prince. I thought that was interesting. Not a lot of answers for Dr. Dre. I think that's about the demographic of who I was watching with, though. <laughs> Hope you're having a great start to your week. Miss anything in the first hour of the show, you can always find it on the New Otis now podcast, probably presented by Shulty Law. Visit JShultilaw.com for any and all of your legal needs. The M store where they're all grizz all the time. And the MSU Bookstore is at MSUBookstore.org. Big Sky Documentary Film Festival is on in Missoula. It's going through the weekend through the 25th of February. We had a, a fun set of filmmakers on last night to preview the world premiere of the film Through the Storm, which is one of the shorts that's here uh, at the Big Sky Doc Fest. And that film was about the Red Lake Nation and their continued um, quest to have any sort of competitiveness in football. Red Lake, uh, the Ojibwa people live in northern Minnesota, right up against the uh, Canadian border. And they have an unbelievable basketball tradition, and they haven't won a football game in, like, 20-plus years. Like, the guys on the the documentary, the high school kids are saying, well, yeah, they haven't won a game since before I was alive, to put that into perspective. Yet, they still have a team that competes. And uh, I watched the film last night. It was very well done, uh, very good. So, we'll continue to preview and highlight various films. You can... View these films, oftentimes multiple times. Sometimes there's screenings just one time. Sometimes there's a couple of different screenings of these films. You can also, though, watch online. So you can get an all-access pass, or you can just buy credits and, and watch uh, films a la carte. BigSkyFilmFest.org is the website to find it at. And uh, Andrew Houghton, he caught up with a filmmaker from the movie The the, the film Hurricanes, and that's hurricanes like her, him and her, her, H E R A ricanes This is about the Houston Hurricanes, who were part of the first women's full-tackle football league in the 1970s. Their unknown story is one of commitment, courage, and strength. Despite adversity and hardship, they fielded a team purely for the love of the game. What they started was a movement that is still in motion today. Maybe we'll get some feedback from Andrew on this, but let's just roll the interview first and learn more about this film.
1: Big Sky Film Festival coverage rolls on here at the Missoula Broadcasting Company. We've been bringing you content, interviews with filmmakers and festival staff all week, and that'll continue all week here uh, between the Trail 103.3 and us here at 102.9 ESPN Radio. Always happy to do these interviews with filmmakers from the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival. It's always great to learn something, sports or otherwise. We've got a great sports-related interview for you today today. I'm Andrew Houghton, joining me in studio, the filmmaker of a film that I had circled on my list for hopefully an interview as soon as I saw the program, somebody who I ended up just meeting by accident. It's Olivia Kwan, the filmmaker of Hurricanes, which I'll just give you the elevator pitch right now. It's about a women's football team in Houston back in the 1970s, and we're going to talk a lot more about it. It's a fascinating film and Olivia Kwan in studio with us today to discuss it. Olivia, first off, thanks for being here.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm very excited.
1: I just want to start off, first of all, with how you personally came to this story because uh, it's it's a very interesting one, uh, but you have a personal connection.
2: Yeah, so a uh, little known fact about me, not so much anymore, is that my mom played tackle football in the 1970s for a team called the Houston Hurricanes. And uh, this is something that I've known about my entire life because she's always told us stories about it. But once I got older, I came to realize that Nobody else knew about it, and nobody fully believed me when I said that my mom played tackle football. So, uh, coming to uh, a later point in my life, I realized that um, somebody should make a movie about it, and it should probably be me.
1: Did you ever follow in her footsteps? I mean, did you play sports?
2: Yeah, I played uh, soccer when I was a kid, and um, me and my sister both uh, played And it was a lot of fun. Uh, Apparently, I had a tendency to turn soccer into full tackle soccer. So somewhere inside me is a a football strain. But um, honestly, in the 90s, when I was growing up, there wasn't any available outlet for girls to play football. And I am not confident that I would have chosen that if it had been available, but it just wasn't there. So I will never know.
1: Your mother's such a huge part of this story and, and your entry point into the story. What was it like making a film with that personal connection?
2: Yeah, so um, when it started, it was literally just me and my mom making this movie for the first six months or so. And um, that was really cool because uh, it was the first time we stepped out of the traditional parent-child relationship and um, got to collaborate on a project together where we were both... Uh, bringing our um, professional influence into the situation. So that, that definitely helped us grow as a um, in our relationship uh, moving forward. Um, but as far as including the personal story in the documentary, that was something that I was very resistant to for a very long time. Um, I uh, did not want to have any involvement in my face being on the screen and uh, kudos to my mom for agreeing to her face being on the screen, even though I wouldn't do it. Um, But as the filmmaking process continued, we got more and more um, people involved and some of our producers were advocating for including the personal connection in the story. And in the end, I think that they were right, Um, but it took a lot of work on dedication on their part to convince me that that needed to happen.
1: Yeah, it, it opens up the film talking about your personal connection to it, and, and your mother is one of the first faces you see on the screen in this film, and I think that that really makes it strong. Uh, it's Olivia Kwan, the filmmaker of *Hurricanes*, which is an uh, an immensely inspiring, poignant at times documentary about a women's professional, or I guess not professional, but a women's football team. In Houston in the 1970s, tell everybody just a little bit more about this story about these women. What what they would see in this documentary?
2: Yeah, so the the league did call itself a professional league, and contractually, people were supposed to get paid, but they never really did. Um, and you know, it's I guess the technical definition of professional is you get paid, but In a way, it's also like the highest level that exists for that group of people at that time. But, uh, you know, within this film, we start with the Houston Hurricanes and the NWFL, which was the National Women's Football League at the time, which was at its height, 14 teams big in the 1970s. Um, And from there, we start to move into women's football today, which we have close to a hundred teams in America. And, uh, we have two leagues, the WFA and the WNFC playing full tackle 11 on 11 football. And, um, this was something that I didn't know about before I started this film. So discovering that, um, was the first step in this becoming a bigger story about more than just the hurricanes. And from there, we also found out that there's women's football in Europe and, uh, the story just keeps keeps getting bigger and bigger. Um, we include the backstory of Title IX and the um, growth of that experience and how it has affected girls and women's sports today. But somehow football has been left out of that. And you know, we kind of go off exploring why that is, what can we do about it, and what do we stand to gain as a society, not just for girls, but everybody, if we start to e- offer equal opportunities to everybody.
1: It's a wonderful message. There's been, of course, all the media surrounding the 50th anniversary of Title IX in the United States, and it's such a a huge through line of this film, right, is that nobody knows about this. Nobody knows that this was happening back in the 1970s. Nobody knows that it's happening today. Did you feel like part of the mission of the film was to bring this culture and this community and these women to light?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I I want people to know that women also play football. They love it. And just because they haven't given the chance to try it doesn't mean that they don't want to do it. Um, and it's there I really want to ask the bigger question of what does it mean when the number one sport in America is only visibly played by men? Um, it, it's... It instills a cultural understanding of gender roles that I think it's time to move past. And what that exactly looks like, I'll leave that up to the to the pros. but um, you know, the question has been asked, and it's up to everyone to answer it.
1: What was the biggest thing that you learned from the process of making this
2: film? Filmmaking is hard. um, I, uh, you know, I, my background is that I'm a cinematographer and this is the first film that I actually set out to make myself. And part of the reason why I chose to pursue cinematography over directing or writing was because I wanted to, uh, be a part of more projects as opposed to spending years of my life doing one project. And, um, so going into this project, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, well, I'll just uh, I'll just knock it out of the park. We'll get it done in a year and a half. And it took four years to finish. And it's now been a year that we've been on the festival circuit. So it's I'm five years in right now and uh, still living and breathing women's football. So, um, you know, I, I guess that's it. Was It shouldn't have been news to me, but it was still a, a very real lesson of what it is takes to pour yourself into something like this for an extended period of time. And I, as much as it is difficult, it is also very rewarding, um, not only in my professional experience, but also in my personal growth.
1: It's Olivia Kwan, who directed Hurricanes, which showed at the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival last weekend. It's a wonderful film about women's tackle football specifically centering around the Houston Hurricanes, a, a women's tackle football team back in the late 70s in Houston. I want to ask you about the difficulties of making this film. There's a sequence right at the very beginning where you're trying to get in contact with all the members of this team, and you're you're dialing wrong numbers, and you're getting to the, the wrong people. How long did it take for things to come together on this film for you to find so many of the 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 wonderful characters in this film who played back in the 1970s
2: yeah so um at the beginning it was just me and my mom trying to find her players um because to me it wasn't worth talking to anyone in the film world until we were sure that we had the story and so we didn't we hadn't searched for people before. And so it took a while for us to figure out even what website to use. And, um, eventually we figured it out, but you know, it's really hard to find someone whose name is Billy Cooper in Texas. There's thousands of them. (laughs) So, uh, we really tried to focus on people with unusual names. Um, and once we found somebody, we kind of kept following the following the trail of breadcrumbs where it was like, oh, well, yeah, I think that this person, I think they're out in Whitney, Texas. Uh, And, you know, nothing, nothing solid, but then we would go and look for them in Whitney, Texas. And it took six months of like following this trail of breadcrumbs to find everyone who's actually in the film. So it it took some time and it took some learning, but eventually we did it. And uh, I'm really grateful that all of the women who we found are now in touch with each other because they weren't in touch with each other either. And um, having them come together again after 40 years was just magical.
1: That's wonderful. It really is. uh, It's a fascinating group of women who you ended up finding, right? And that's one of the biggest things that stood out to me about this film. I mean, we always talk here, at ESPN Radio about what sports can do, the sort of community that they can create, the different people that they can bring together. And that was really true for these women, especially back in the 70s, where they didn't have a ton of other opportunities in team sports to be able to find that community. But I'm talking about, you know, we see people from all different walks of life. We see people from all of the different neighborhoods of Houston who were able to to come together and create this community.
2: Yeah, and one important note to remember is that in the 1970s, these women were in their 20s, which means that they were all born during segregation. And that was the backdrop of their, of their childhood. So the fact that they were able to, all come together for no other reason other than that they wanted to play this sport that they've always seen their brothers, their dads or whoever play um, it, it really is exceptional that they were able to do that um, in this world where they were literally not allowed to interact until a certain point in their lives Yeah, I think that the community building of team sports is critical and shouldn't be available for everybody because that's something that you don't find everywhere else
1: So much of this film is also, at least to me, so much of it is also about Texas and Houston and that sort of culture. And as we know, there's a huge football culture down there, but so much of this film was also about place. What was it like being down there filming, finding these women who a lot of them still live in Texas or in Houston? What was it like sort of becoming a part of that culture, but sort of approaching it from a different way?
2: Yeah, so I'm from Houston, and I grew up there, Um, but the version of Houston that I saw in this film is different than the one that I saw as a child. Um, And, of course, there's some overlap, but rediscovering my home city and what it was before I was born uh, was really interesting because I've always understood Houston to be very diverse um, and very open-minded, but that's not the Houston that these women grew up in. So finding that backdrop and then trying to understand how Houston transformed from that version to the version it is now was maybe not in the film, but definitely a part of my behind the scenes thought process. And I uh, personally believe that the Houston Hurricanes were uh, in part of a part of that development. The fact that Houston had a women's tackle football team in the 1970s may not have made a lot of money. It may not have made a lot of headlines, but it did make a splash in the mentality of the community. And that seed grows into something, uh, and it can't be avoided.
1: It's Olivia Kwan who directed the documentary film, Hurricanes, about a women's tackle football team in Houston. In the 1970s, joining us in studio. It already showed at the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival, uh, but possibly going to streaming later. Is that right?
2: Yeah, we're seeking a distribution deal um, at the moment. Uh, we don't have anything solid yet, but keep an eye out for us. The easiest way to keep track of us is to follow us on Instagram at The Hurricanes, spelled H E R. Follow
1: along on social media. Stay tuned for updates. Olivia, just a, a couple more for you. What was your favorite? part of the film favorite scene or favorite interview that you did or favorite you know you had a ton of archival footage from from even from some of these women's tackle football games
2: what was your favorite part of the film yeah well the archival footage um we really stretched it out because there wasn't a lot um and not surprisingly yeah there were not a lot of uh cameras going to these games um but we managed to stretch what we had and then we supplemented it with uh, dioramas and recreations and the dioramas were my favorite part of the creative aspect of making this film which are these um, miniature tabletop recreations of the games and um, furthermore the producers really pushed for reenactments because what's missing from the dioramas is the full contact aspect of full contact football and um, the Behind the scenes fact that I always smile about is that the Houston Energy, who are the current women's football team in Houston, are the performers playing the Houston Hurricanes in the recreations. Yeah, if you if you
1: watch it, you'll see what she's talking about. It it really works between these dioramas that really look like an old like electronic tabletop football game, and also you have these recreate live recreations uh, with the current players that that gets across the physicality of it. When did you decide that the current state of women's tackle football was also going to be? You're working on sort of two timelines here because we're learning about the hurricanes of the 1970s. And we're also seeing players and talking to players who play women's tackle football today. When did you decide that it was going to be sort of on those two timelines that you wanted both of those groups in there?
2: I decided it pretty early on, but I didn't really know how it was going to work. Uh, I um, you knew I knew about the hurricanes and I was all ready to go and tackle that uh, storyline. But then in the process of researching, I discovered that what there, there were women's football teams currently in Houston and I didn't know how it was going to work. I didn't know how it was going to fit in, but I was just like, I got to go out and shoot this. And I think that actually ended up being the first thing I shot for the documentary was a uh, Houston energy game in 2019 and um, ended up following them in over the course of the few years that it took for us to finish the film and um, developed a relationship with their coach and some of their players. And um, it's, uh, again, I still, I'm not sure how we figured out how to make it all work (laughs) because it's easy to be on this side of it, looking back and being like, oh, I see, I see what we were trying to do. But the truth is going into it, we were just kind of grabbing what we what we could and had to figure out how it was going to all weave together in the edit room
1: i think it certainly does work the final product the film hurricanes olivia kwan joining us in studio here to talk a little bit about that film we'll leave you on this just what do you want people to take away from watching this from from experiencing it as as i mentioned a lot of emotions come with this film. I think it's it's really humorous in points. I think it's certainly heartwarming, inspiring, at times really kind of bittersweet as well. What do you want people to, to take away from it?
2: A lot of people think that the message of this film is that girls should go out and play football. And that's not necessarily what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say that all genders should have equal opportunity to all things. And That will allow people to find the thing that makes them the best version of themselves, that makes them feel like the strongest version of themselves, that makes them inspired to do something that they may not have thought to do before. Um, When you cut people off from one resource, uh, cut a group off from one resource, it damages the integrity of what can be accomplished in our society as a whole. And, um, you know, if you want to play football, great. If there's something else you want to do that you didn't think that you could do before, that's also great. As Colette V. Smith says in the film, just be inspired.
1: It's really well said. It's a message that comes through in this film about a group of women who were chasing their passion back in the 1970s when that was something that was very difficult to do. As, As one of the women said, right? If you told a group of professional male football players that not only were they going to have to Play at a public park to practice, and bus everywhere. And not only were they not going to get paid, but they were going to have to pay their own way to play. There wouldn't be a professional football league; the NFL wouldn't exist. But these women's football leagues existed, even as far back as the 1970s, because of that passion for the game. So Olivia Kwan of the film *Hurricanes* joining us here to talk about that film. It's been really great having you in studio. Tell everybody one more time, again, this film showed last Saturday at the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival, but tell people where they can follow along for updates on this and potentially where they can see it in the future.
2: Yeah, so keep in touch with us via our Instagram, which is at the hurricanes, uh T-H-E-H-E-R-R-I-C-A-N-E-S. And we'll post all the updates about when you can see it, where you can see it, and we hope that it's available for everyone soon.
1: Awesome. Thanks again for coming in. Enjoy the rest of your time in Missoula.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank
0: you, Andrew. Good interview. Bigskyfilmfest.org if you want to find out more about that film and other films as well. And we'll keep previewing and or recapping, talking about, sharing information about a variety of films, sports-oriented and otherwise. I got a good one coming up tomorrow about uh, a unforgettable and very famous skate park in Dallas. So that's uh, that'll be a fun one. Uh, as well. We also have a fun ESPN Roundtable tomorrow. Matt Brown, who's joined the show a couple times now, he's been, uh, I guess you could say, a friend of the show. Uh, he'll be our ESPN Roundtable guest tomorrow. I want to talk about NIL, NIL Collectives, as well as College Realignment, his new uh, project, the Athletic Director Simulator, which is a hilarious and fun computer game. And uh, he also uh, has some stuff on. The NCAA football game. What does it mean for FCS programs? Matt's the the curator and the founder of the Extra Points newsletter. He's doing great journalism about higher education and college athletics, and uh, it's fun. It's been fun to watch him. He came on the show for the first time when it was first uh, sort of exploding in popularity, and now he's he's just kind of rolling along. So uh, he'll be uh, our ESPN Roundtable guest uh, tomorrow. BigSkyFilmFest.org, that's the the website for all the Big Sky documentary film festivals. up. Andrew, I know you got a jet. Uh, Jeff will be taking us home here on the other side of the glass, but anything to add on that or uh, any other film festival comments before we get you out of here?
1: No, I mean just check the schedule, go to film, see them. Uh, that interview that I just did, I was lucky enough to, to see a copy of Hurricanes, although it already played at the festival. It's a wonderfully emotional and important and powerful film and some of the things that Olivia was able to do in the making of that film uh, with just finding all of these old players and getting in touch with them and eventually bringing them all together. Really, really wonderful. Really heartwarming in points. Really um, bittersweet in points. Really emotional throughout and a really well told story. So follow her on that social media and and stay tuned for when that film might be coming streaming. And uh,
0: I thought that her line there was great where she said, it's not about girls and women playing football. It's about anybody and everybody having the opportunity to do anything. That's what the, the, the point of all of this storytelling, documentary filmmaking, journalism. It's about not, not necessarily just equality. It's about understanding each other and understanding that we really aren't that much different. No matter who you are, where you're from, what your background is, we really aren't that much different. And that's the point of uh, this whole week and the Big Sky Doc Fest uh, each and every week, or each and every uh, year here uh, in the Garden City. is no Now, ESPN Radio, I got some thoughts on the uh, coaching changes on the Bozeman side of the Continental Divide. Montana State's got new coordinators and a new quarterbacks coach. What does it all mean? We'll break it down in our Big Sky Spotlight on the other side. Keep it right here. No one is Now, ESPN Radio. I feel as if I've neglected something. This is this is too bad. Usually, you know, we pride ourselves on talking our way around the wide world of sports in Montana and not just, you know, hammering on the football and basketball, but giving you at least some tidbits about all of it. And if you if you're a loyal listener, you follow along, you know that I love me some track and field. Uh, I myself, regrettably, was not a track athlete or a field athlete. I don't think I was. I, it's not regrettable I was not a track athlete. Running, not the, not uh, not my my forte, but uh, definitely probably could have been pretty good at the throws. Uh, but I played baseball in the spring. But I always loved track. Loved watching my brother compete in track. He in, in fact is a great runner, and uh, so lo- always used to love watching him growing up. And I've always just been fixated by it. I just love. I love the, the the finality of it all, the the cut-and-dry, black-and-white nature of it. You either win or you didn't. You run the best time, you win. That's it. There, not, I mean, there is strategies within a race and honing your mentality, but when it comes down to it, perform your best when your best is needed. Can you do it, and can you do it better than the people that are lined up next to you? If you can, you win. If you can't, you won't. That's it. That's a great sport to me. Uh, That's, in fact, the purest essence of sports. And that's why, you know, I think track and field and fighting are the ones that date back to the very beginning of human competition and and certainly the ones that are just sort of in us, in our DNA. That's all to say the Big Sky Indoor Track and Field Championships are this weekend, and I did not know that until I was just reading the weekly release about the athletes of the week. So (laughs) we'll scramble around. We'll get some... uh, at least some some athletes to watch. I guess it's probably easier in terms of the interviews. Track and field's tough like, hey, how do you want to do with this meet? Well, we want to do well. We want to go win all our races that we can win. That part's tough from a preview perspective, but it is always fun to have the champions on afterwards, especially the ones that are affiliated with uh, the state of Montana. So uh, it's coming up Thursday through Saturday, so I'll be watching some of this. It's going to be streamed on ESPN+. Plus. It's happening in Spokane, Washington, so that'll be fun. Uh, the uh, the reason I stumbled upon this news is that uh, a couple of Montana State athletes who are also, Mon- also Montana natives were the Big Sky uh, Athletes of the Week this week. Maisie Brown, who's a senior pole vaulter, and Grace Gilbreth, who's a junior distance runner, each at Montana State. They were Big Sky Track and Field Athletes of the Week this week. Brown, who's from Billings, she broke her own personal record in the pole vault three times on Friday at the Big Sky Tuner. She cleared 13 feet, nine and a quarter inches. She's the number two vaulter in program history. The only one ahead of her is Ellie Rudy. Ellie Rudy is absolutely the greatest pole vaulter this side of Stacey Droghila. In uh, Big Sky Conference history, she's absolutely the best pole vaulter in Montana State history. For those that don't know about Ellie Rudy, Ellie Rudy was uh, on the Big Sky Conference's top 50 athletes of all time when they did their 50th anniversary. She's also a two-time NCAA champion uh, in the uh, the pole vault. So being number two to her is uh, no shame in being in second place. But Maisie Brown certainly one of the great pole vaulters ever now at Montana State. And then uh, Grace Gilbreth, she hails from Bozeman. And uh, she won the mile at the Big Sky Tuner. Four uh, minutes and 44 seconds. That's the third fastest mark uh, in MSU history. So a lot of good times being turned in over there at Montana State. And uh, we'll get you all up-to-date, up-to-speed once the Big Sky Championships begin in Spokane, Washington. So as, well as now, ESPN Radio, our brawl of the wild by the mile is back, baby. We got some free gift cards for you to Town Pump coming up a little bit later on. Town Pump, right down the road, no matter where you're at in Montana. We're, we're going to be on the road quite a bit in March, headed to Boise, Idaho, headed to uh, the NCAA tournament, depending on where... The Big Sky Conference representatives are sent, so TBD there. But whenever we're on the road, wherever we're taking the show on the road, Town Pump keeps us fueled up, both with the gasoline and the snacks and the beverages. So, Brawl the Wild by the Mile, we'll be giving you gift cards upcoming, and uh, they'll be hooking us up to get us all over the uh, all over the West for the upcoming postseason event. Uh, college basketball that we'll be covering. Uh, A little bit up against it, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a break, and then we'll come back. I promise this is the last time we, uh, how do you say, kick the can down the road here when it comes to a little bit more analysis about uh, Montana State's coordinators, uh, new coordinators there for the Bobcats in in football, so we'll uh, we'll give you some thoughts on that uh, to take you home here on this Tuesday. Before that though got to tell you about some guys that can make your life way easier. You don't want to waste your time picking up dog poop, I promise you. Montana Pooper Scoopers can help free up your weekends and it's way more affordable than you think. They're locally owned and operated. Montana Pooper Scoopers has been serving Missoula and the surrounding area since 2006. Visit MontanaPoopersCoopers.com for more information on their weekly cleanups that free up your time and your yard. Montana Pooper Scoopers offers weekly dog waste removal services for businesses, families, homes at a price anyone can afford. MontanaPoopersCoopers.com. Big Sky Football, Bobcat Football on the other side. Keep it right here. You want us now, ESPN Radio. Jewelry Design Center, now open in Missoula at 2501 Brook Street, across from the Montana Club. Jewelry Design Center, your jeweler for life. One, two, three! That is now on ESPN Radio. Welcome back. A little talking heads for you to make you happy here on this Tuesday. Colter Nuanas, Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio. Appreciate you for tuning in. Best thing of the show today, you can always find it on the Nuanas Now podcast, which is probably presented by Schulte Law. Visit jshulteilaw.com. The M Store, where they're all grizz all the time. And the MSU Bookstore, visit msubookstore.com. We've seen a little bit of turnover on the coaching staff at Montana State on the football team. We analyzed some of the Grizz stuff yesterday. Uh, For those that haven't been keeping track, Chad Germer moving on to other opportunities after a long stint as Montana's offensive line coach. Joe Pollack of the University, formerly of the University of North Dakota, takes over as Montana's offensive line coach. Yesterday, the news of the day, Ronnie Bradford on his way out, the defensive coordinator for the, the Grizz. He is headed to the NFL. He'll be a special teams assistant for the Miami Dolphins. The Bobcats have changes in multiple different spots. In December, we reported at Skyline Sports that Bobby Daly would be taking over as the defensive coordinator, Willie Matt Garza the former D.C., did not have his contract renewed. I think part of that was performance-based. Part of that was the controversy stemming from uh, the DUI that he was charged with uh, following the Cackers uh, football game in Bozeman two years ago. Uh, I believe that case is still pending. I have not checked the courts in the last couple of weeks, but as of uh, the last time I did check, it was still pending. But either way, Willie Matt Garza out. Bobby Daly, former linebackers coach and former All American linebacker himself at Montana State, and as the defensive coordinator there uh, at Montana State, that happened in uh, December, about mid December, and then in January, early January, Taylor Housewright, the offensive coordinator for the Cats, he moved moved on to Akron, took a job there on uh, Joe Morehouse's staff, and then um, they decided to promote internally and swiftly. Tyler Walker, tight ends coach there at MSU, he takes over as the OC now. Unsure about Walker, he's been on this show before, he's an affable guy, Uh, he's got a bunch of one-liners, he's fun and funny, he's been coaching tight ends, and the tight ends of Montana State have been, I mean, as good as it gets, I think that... Derek Snell certainly and Trenton Pickering probably are NFL prospects. They're two seniors from uh, last year. Uh, those guys are definitely going to get shots. Like they'll be in, they'll be scouts in Bozeman to see those guys work out for sure. So if you judge Walker just on that, well, he does he's done a great job so far at MSU. His resume includes play calling on both offensive and defensive sides of the ball, but never in Division One. He's coached in Division Two and Division Three. Sometimes people misconstrue that, though. They think, oh, this guy was a coordinator on the other side of the ball. I wonder if he's actually any good at it. I think coaching on the other side of the ball of what you ultimately choose to make your expertise actually gives you really good acumen. I mean, look at Kyle Shanahan. Look at Sean McVay. Look at uh, Bobby Sloak, the offensive coordinator for the Texans. A lot of those guys started out as defensive position coaches. Conversely, a lot of times, like Jeff Choate at Montana State, for example, he was the running back's coach at Boise State before he started coaching linebackers and special teams. And, he, you know, he's widely considered a defensive coach. He's a defensive coordinator, co-defensive coordinator, that is, at Texas, uh, before taking the head coaching job in Nevada. So uh, that's one thought uh, on the the coordinator change. I think defensively, Montana State's got a chance to be better with Bobby Daly at the helm for a couple reasons. Willie Mack is a secondary guy. He's a secondary coach. He was trying to build the scheme around the secondary. That's all fine and dandy, but I think that you're going to have a harder time getting top-level elite players in the secondary at the Montana schools than you are at the other two levels of your defense. So much of that is just because what is the state of Montana going to give you in terms of prospects? Well, they're going to gift you more linebackers than any other position, right? I mean, Every year, year in and year out, it seems like the Grizz have just nothing but Montana-made linebackers. That was true again this last year you know, with guys like Levi Caro, and Tyler Flink and Braxton Hill. They're all Montana-made guys that were standouts for the Grizz. Same thing for the Cats. They have a great legacy of Montana linebackers from Bobby Daly himself through Troy Anderson. This last year, Nolan Askelson was a first-team all-league guy uh, out of Billings, so they have a a deep legacy of Montana linebackers as well. So building your defense from the the, the front seven out, which Montana State's defense is built from the front front back, but the scheme was catered towards the back end being playmakers. That makes sense because Willie Matt Garza is a defensive guy. He's a secondary guy. But I think having a linebacker that's a Montana State alum that knows what it's all about, I think that's going to be a a world of difference. I also expect Bobby Daly to be a lot more aggressive in the Blitz game. Because, again, William Mack Garza, he's the secondary coach. He's trying to protect the secondary sometimes with the way that he's thinking about the game and calling the game. Daly is an aggressive guy. He was a a converted edge rusher as a high school guy. And then when he first got to Montana State, into a linebacker. But he was a great Blitzer himself. So I imagine that's going to be a, a... an elevated addition. Also, co-defensive coordinator for Montana State now is Sean Howe, the was and still is the defensive line coach. So I think there's going to be a high priority on the front seven. You get what you emphasize. And I, I think that that's the best way to go about it if you're Montana State. On the offensive side of the ball, I'm not sure what Tyler Walker's quote-unquote offensive identity or philosophies are, but I can absolutely tell you that they absolutely have to have a similar DNA than they have the last couple of years. Because how can you not, when you return, Tommy Mallott for his senior year? I mean, the kids get about to be a four-year starter. They have a wicked offensive line, and I know they lost guys with the portal, but they still have a bunch of guys waiting in the wings, including guys they are not just waiting in the wings, they're just back from injury. I mean, JT Reed was a first-team All-League guy who then didn't really play last year Omar Abedion and Rush Reimer rose to All-American status as guards while Reed was coming back from the injury. Well, those guys both get in the portal. Reimer's at Cal. Abedion's at Baylor. And JT Reed's just waiting. I mean, he's a preseason All-League guy last year. He just didn't play because he got hurt. So uh, that certainly... Uh, fortifies your offensive line. I just think that given the talent the Cats have on offense, you just got to build it around Tommy Molot. so why would you change much within the offense? You could change intricacies and, and nuances and stuff, but I, I think it would be foolish to try to do any sort of wholesale or even uh, noticeable changes. I'm thinking you're still running the spread option, RPO, get him out on the edge, let him run. The one thing I would probably put a priority on is taking as many hits off of Malat as possible, especially during regular season games, especially, especially during regular season games that you think you're probably going to win. You know, not running quarterback power out of the empty set, not running, You know, maybe not as much, right? I mean, they were they were drawn up 10 to 15 plays where Malat is the primary ball carrier, and then also he's going to run the ball 10 to 12 times on his own, just freelancing within the scope of the offense because he's a running quarterback. When a play breaks down, he's gonna take off. So, if it was me, I'd only do maybe a couple design run plays, and then just let him run organically. Otherwise, and then then you know use your stable running backs, run some option stuff, all that sort of stuff. I also think the Cats. The last thing that will help them offensively is even though they've been so good offensively, they scored a ton of points and rushing for a ton of yards. They've been so banged up on offense the last couple of years. Two years ago it was the running backs. They basically got all the way down to having to play Marquis Johnson, who's a converted wide receiver at running back. They were still running the ball for 200 plus yards a game. I mean, Johnson rushed for 250 and four touchdowns against Cal Poly in his one and only start <laughs> as a running back. It was national player of the week. That's how good Montana State's been running the ball. But then last year was the receivers. Taco Dowler missed most of the year. Laniata Alexander was ruled ineligible. He's one of, if not maybe the most talented guys uh, in the Big Sky Conference at wide receiver. Um, Ty McCullough was in and out. Aiden Garrigan was hurt for a time uh, a year ago. So you certainly, you have a ton of guys that haven't got a chance to play together, but that should be big time weapons uh, for Tommy Malott there on the perimeter. So um, I think that's been the story. They've had arguably the best offensive line in the conference for the last several years. They've had um, one of the most deep stables of running backs in the conference the last several years, and they've had multiple quarterbacks that can get it done with their legs. How do they put it all together, though? They made the great run of the semifinals, uh, the championship game, and then the semifinals, the first two years under Brett Vegan. But then last year, they get knocked out in the quarters by North Dakota State. So uh, certainly some room to grow, but also uh, some interesting moves there at MSU. So that's certainly not the last time we'll talk about all that. But I wanted to give you some thoughts on it uh, as we move in here to the end of the show uh, on this Tuesday. We'll be back at it tomorrow. Thanks so much for joining us. We will have Krista. Around the Big Sky and Women's Hoops with Chris Redpath and Matt Brown from the Extra Points newsletter. We'll see you tomorrow. you want us now, ESPN Radio. It's finally starting to feel like winter around here, and if you need some nice winter gear, how about the fine folks at Sitka? They make awesome winter clothes, and they sell custom Bobcat Sitka gear at the MSU Bookstore. You can shop online anytime at msubookstore.org, or, of course, you can check out the MSU Bookstore